Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you, Sam. Very good. And um, so I was on my way here this morning and I uh, was up at the top of the way over here and someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hello, Sam, how are you? <laughs> so, no, no, I'm not Sam, I'm not Sam. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so I am told we look alike, but I can't see it myself. I have this, this theory that you cannot see yourself in your own children. But people always tell me I look like Sam. Anyway, um, so, anyway. so um, it's great to be with you today and um, really good to uh, be part of your worship. So shall we, shall we pray as we, um, as we sit for a moment? Lord, give us wisdom today. Lord, we pray that you'd help me to speak well and um, clearly and give me the words to bring your word into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, a little while ago, I, I had a health check and I went to the doctors and they um, uh, they did one of these complete sort of body health check things. And you know, they had to take a bit of blood from me and to, you know, take a little bit of pee from the urine. They're gonna test that. They had to, you know, you know um, put me on a scales to weigh me and check I was in good health and they could have took blood pressure and they just basically checked everything about me uh, at all and uh, at the end I you know I had to wait a few weeks or so and then they gave me this this kind of long sort of thing that told me what, what my health was like and it looked at all my different parts of my health and it told me that my you know things like my, um, my blood pressure that was okay it was pretty good uh, my heart rate that was all right um, I was with calcium in the bones, that was all right. Vitamin D, well, a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit low. Um, you know, cholesterol, I had to watch that a little bit. And um, something about my folate levels, I didn't even know I had folate levels, but apparently I do. That was a bit low, and I needed to go to watch on that. So basically what it did is it looked at all the different aspects of my, my health, and it told me what was good and what was not so good. And I thought that's really useful, because that then helps me to know which bits I kind of need to work on, which bits I need to... You know, if I need to change my diet a little bit or need to kind of change my habits of my life, it told me what was going wrong and what was going well in terms of my bodily health. Um, and I did think a little bit after that, well, that was really useful because it told me all about my physical health, but it didn't tell me much about my psychological health uh, or my spiritual health. And uh, I thought, well, actually, doctors are very good at telling us about our physical health, our bodies. But one of the reasons we come to church is that it helps us to realize a little bit about our spiritual health because our spiritual health is as important perhaps even more important sometimes than our physical health and you're doing this series at the moment about the seven deadly sins and the seven deadly sins are kind of like a like a sort of spiritual health check it's like a kind of thing that looks through different aspects of your life and it might help you to realize that some bits well you're doing okay in those bits that's all right but there are one or two other bits where you think, well, maybe I need to do a bit of work on this. Maybe I need to change my way of life. Maybe I need to change my spiritual diet. And that's kind of what you're doing as you go through this series. Now you've gone through some of them already, and today uh, we land with the particular one called sloth. Now I don't know what occurs to your mind when you hear that word sloth or you read it up there. What, what, what comes to your mind? How's it pronounced? How's it pronounced? There you go. Sloth, sloth. Well, I always call it sloth. I don't know whether that's right or not. But anyway, that's one question. Anything else that comes to your mind when you think of sloth or sloth? Laziness. Laziness. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we think of laziness, lying in bed all day, that kind of thing. You think of something like that. <laughs> lying in bed, just that's, that's sort of laziness and gluttony at the same time. Sloth and gluttony, isn't it? Anything else you think of? Uh, 
Furry animal, there you are. A lovely little sloth. Don't be love a sloth. That's kind of what we think of. We either think of it maybe kind of laziness, we might think of a sort of furry animal, a little thing like that. But actually, when you think about it, when you think of laziness, um, it doesn't sound the worst thing in the world, does it? You know, the fact that people might stay a little bit longer in bed on a Saturday morning, that's all lounge around, not doing too much, doesn't sound like a terrible sin. Especially when you think of things like kind of greed and anger and pride and lust, things that kind of really do damage to people. Laziness doesn't sound that bad, does it? So maybe laziness might catch some of it, but maybe not all of it. There's another um, way in which sometimes in, in the Middle Ages they had, um, used to talk about um, sloth quite a bit, they had a word for it. It was a kind of um, strange Latin word called axidi. And um, what it referred to was a kind of, kind of despair. People would get desperate, they would have despair. Sometimes we think about depression, people have depression today, and that feels a little bit like slow. But again, when we think about it, depression, it's not a sin. Sometimes people have a condition, it's more like an illness, it's not a sin as such. So if, if sloth is not laziness entirely, if it's not depression, then what is it? Well, maybe one of the best definitions I've come across of sloth is this one by um, Dorothy Sayers. She, she was a novelist uh, back early in the last century. She said, and that's what she looked like, um, she said this. Sloth is not merely idleness of mind and laziness of body. It's that whole poisoning of the will, which beginning with indifference and an attitude of I couldn't care less, extends to the deliberate refusal of joy and culminates in morbid introspection and despair. Now, let me just go through that a little bit, just to think about that for a moment. So, first of all, it's not just idleness of mind and laziness of body. It's not just staying in bed a bit longer on a Saturday morning. That's okay. That's not a bad thing to do. It's that whole poisoning of the will. It's a bit like a, a kind of poison has got into your heart and begins to twist everything inside you. And it begins, she says, with indifference. You know, indifference means when you just, you see someone else in trouble and you just say, I couldn't care less. I'm indifferent. It doesn't make any difference to me. That's what indifference means. And it begins with something really quite small. Just that little thing of seeing someone else in trouble and saying, I couldn't care less. It doesn't make any difference to me. And you turn away from someone else's struggles. And then it goes on to an attitude of I couldn't care less, not just about someone else's pain and difficulty, but I couldn't care less about anything. And you can sort of sometimes get this through these times of your life where you couldn't care less about anything. And then it extends to this deliberate refusal of joy. That when joyful things come at you, you kind of refuse it, and you take it away, no, I couldn't care about that. So you couldn't care about people's sufferings, but you couldn't care about goodness and joy and wonderful, wonderful things either. And it culminates in morbid introspection. You turn in on yourself. You couldn't care about anyone. Turns in upon yourself and it ends in despair. There are a few little signs. If you like, if sloth is like a kind of illness of the, of the heart, there are signs. What are the symptoms? Like when you have an illness of your body, like you have the flu or you have... Uh, you know, something like you, you get some symptoms in your body. What are the symptoms of sloth? Well, there are a few phrases 
that we use sometimes that may be a little sign that sloth has got a hold on our heart. Phrases that betray sloth. Couldn't be bothered. Do you ever find yourself saying that? No, just couldn't be bothered. Couldn't care less. Who cares? Whatever. It's boring. I sometimes think sloth is a particularly teenage thing. <laughs> Maybe when we're teenagers we go through a little period where sloth is a particular kind of attraction to us because you're kind of trying to find out your way in the world and yeah, and it can you take up this attitude. But you, if it can get if it gets control of your heart, it can become a bit of a problem. And there are habits that you find yourself getting into that betray a little bit of sloth as well. There was a um, uh, a, uh, a Christian bishop in the fifth century, a man called John Cassian, and uh, he used to write about the seven deadly sins. In fact, he used to think there were eight of them. There were eight. Um, the extra one, anyone know what the extra one was? Can you imagine what it might be? Well, boasting was the eighth one he had. His boasting he was a very bad one. Anyway, we won't worry about boasting today. Um, but he used to write about this, and he, he, he used to be in charge of a monastery, a whole bunch of monks who would meet out in the desert. And he would um, teach them about the seven deadly sins. And he would describe them. He's a great writer, he's a really interesting writer to read. And he wrote about a monk who had the sin of sloth. And the interesting thing, he said that what this monk always did was he was always complaining. He was always grumbling. And he would say, this monastery's no good. All the people in it are boring. There's no good conversation here. The food's terrible. I really don't like it. I want to move to another one. If I can move to another monastery, I'll be much happier. This one is terrible. And that was just, he says, a sign of sloth. It was a kind of refusal of joy. Not finding joy in anything around him at all, but turning away from him. Always moaning. Always complaining. And you ever come across people like that? He spent all their time, all they ever do is moan, and complain, and grumble. Maybe we get into that sort of spirit sometimes ourselves. And that's a little sign that the sin of sloth has got a little bit of a hold on your heart. If all you ever do is grumble and moan and complain about what's around you. So there's a little bit of, um, of um, thinking about sloth. I guess the, um, now, I guess the question with all these sins is not just what are they? And we've kind of helped to kind of realize what sloth is, not just laziness, it's a turning away from other people's suffering. It's a lack of passion for life. Sometimes we think, you know, sin is God saying to us, don't enjoy yourself too much. And sloth is the one sin that gives the lie to that. Because sloth is actually not investing enough in life. Not, it's losing your passion for life. And so the question is, where does sloth come from? Where does it come from? And all the great masters of the spiritual life have said that it comes from one simple little thing. And it's brought out by this um, quotation here by a man called Peter Kreeft. He says this, there is one thing that never gets boring, and that is God. Therefore, if we're bored with God, we will eventually be bored with everything. That's where the sin of sloth begins. It begins when we get bored with God. 
And so if we're to recover our passion for life, if we're to recover our sensitivity to the sufferings of the world, if we're to recover that sense of being drawn back into God's heart, then we need to, if you like, address our relationship with God at the very heart of it, because that's where the sin of sloth is addressed. So how do we deal with sloth? Well, one thing we don't do is become a workaholic. That's kind of what we think, because if we think sloth is just laziness, we think, well, if we work harder, then we'll get over the sin of sloth. But that doesn't really help very much at all. It doesn't just mean working harder. If sloth is recovering your passion for life, recovering your sensitivity to the sufferings of the world, something different needs to happen. And so let me just suggest from our reading today a number of things as to how to remedy sloth. In our passage today, St. Paul said this right at the heart of it, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. If we're to overcome sloth, if we're to recover our passion for life, we also need to recover our passion for God. Because God is the only thing that never gets boring. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's kind of why we come here every Sunday. It's why people come to church wherever they are. They don't come to church just because it's a habit. You always do it on a Sunday. We come to church to focus our minds back again on God and remember how good and fascinating and beautiful and glorious God is. Because during the week, let's be honest, we sometimes forget that. We get preoccupied, we get distracted, we get other things come into our minds. And we come back again on a Sunday to spend our time looking into the face of God that we see in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that we do this. We don't drift out of the habit of coming together. We come together to rejoice in the Lord always. And so if we're to recover our passion for life, recover our passion for God, overcome that sin of sloth, we need to rejoice in the Lord always. And one great way to do that is just to make sure we're here every Sunday, as often as we can be. Obviously, life means sometimes strict work and so on means that we can't always be here when we, when we like to. But whenever we can, to be together as Christian people to rejoice in the Lord, to offer our worship and our praise, to gaze at the face of God in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, we rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes rejoicing in the Lord can seem quite hard during the week. So what do we do in the rest of the time to make sure we overcome this sin of sin? Second, fill your mind with good things. In our reading, we read this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I don't know what you do in your spare moments. You know those moments when there's, you know, you're not working, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're just, I don't know, sitting on the loo, or in the evening, sort of, you know, you've got an evening free and you're going to watch the telly. What do you fill your mind with in those moments? There's a kind of rule of life, isn't there, which kind of goes trash in, trash out. If we fill our minds with trashy things, we're going to produce trashy things that come out of our hearts as well. It's like food, isn't it? And I often think, you know, if we spend our time, I know, scrolling through sort of those slightly trashy TikTok videos or stuff on TV that you know is not really very good for you, 
It's a bit like those eating a kind of really cheap hamburger that feels and it tastes nice at the time, but afterwards makes your stomach feel kind of horrible and rotten. So make sure you fill your mind and your heart with good things. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that is for you that fills your heart with good things, the things that bring you life. For some people, it'll be reading books that help you grow in your faith or help you kind of see the goodness in other people. For some people, it'll be watching particular TV programs. And you, you kind of know the ones that are good for you and the ones that are not good for you. The ones that fill your heart with good things and the ones that fill your heart with just pretty bad things. Fill your heart with what gives you life. We were made to take delight in God's world. So fill your heart with those good things. So this first thing, fill your mind with good things. Second thing, um, be content with the ordinary things. So Paul says this, you know, I, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That's a great thing to be able to learn, isn't it? To be that, that contentment. You know, whatever you have, whether it's plenty or little, you're content with it. And I think maybe one of the secrets of that, one of the secrets that Paul had learned in that, is the gift of thanksgiving. They're recognizing to thank God for the ordinary things. Not necessarily the great things, waiting for the great thing to happen, but giving thanks for the ordinary little things in your life. Stopping to give in thanks for them. So that even if you're going through a time where there's not, you don't have very much, you're able to stop every now and again and say, thank you God for that child that I saw just playing on the street and it was clearly just full of joy of life. Well, thanking God for um, just every time you sit down and you eat, just that little discipline of saying grace at the beginning of a meal. It seems very little, but it's a way of saying, thank you, God, for this food that I have, not taking it for granted. Thank you, God, for um, that book that I read last week that really helped me. That thing that I saw on uh, an advert on TV that was really, really good. <laughs> thank you, God, for that friend that I have. Just stopping and giving thanks for the little things in life. That breeds contentment. It makes you realize that God is good. Even when you don't have very much, God still gives you what you need. So learn contentment with the little things in life, the ordinary. Third thing, do something worthwhile. St. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He says, you know, when I've taught you, just don't just listen to it, but put it into practice. Do something. One of the things that overcomes sloth, that listlessness, that lack of passion for other people's suffering or lack of passion for life or for God, is actually doing something worthwhile. Find something that you can throw yourself into. And throw yourself into it with your faith in your heart. Now that might be bringing up a family, it might be taking up a hobby, it might be giving yourself to loving a neighbor, it might be a particular ministry that God has called you to. It might be leading in a worship band, whatever else. Do something. Don't just sit there. Do something. In your local community, in your church. Because there's something about doing something really worthwhile and throwing yourself into it. It helps you rekindle that passion for life, that passion for God, that, that sensitivity to the sufferings of others. 
of the things we can do is give ourselves to places and people that really need our support because that again can rekindle our sensitivity of heart to God and to his people. And then the last thing is to rediscover the presence and the peace of God. Um, as Paul says that thing about um, um, whatever you've learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, um, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I think what Paul teaches us is if we do these things, if we rejoice in the Lord, we come here week after week to remember how good God is. We fill our minds with good things in those spare moments to make sure that our minds are full of things that give us life and health and spiritual wisdom. We learn to be content with the ordinary things of life, just giving thanks for whatever God gives us, those small things. Giving ourselves to something really worthwhile that's worth giving ourselves to over time. Then we will find and we will rediscover the peace of God. We will find that peace settling in our hearts. We will find the presence of God with us all the time. And that's the promise of God to us. Sloth, as we've seen, is more than laziness. It's kind of giving up on life, giving up on God, giving up on other people. It's that listlessness, that slowness of heart, that lack of sensitivity to God and to other people. And if our hearts are to come alive again, if we're to rediscover our passion for people, our passion for God, our passion for life, these are the things we need to put in place in our lives. I started with thinking about that little image of health. And maybe realizing there is something that you probably need to do, and I needed to. When I read through that, I realized there were some of the bits of my diet I needed to change eat a few more vegetables, a bit more fruit, and that kind of thing. <coughs> As we come to the end of this today, um, I don't know if you think maybe sloth is something that isn't great, your great sin. In which case, fine, great, well done, brilliant. I'm sure there'll be another one you'll have to pay attention to. But if sometimes you feel, yeah, I lack that passion for life. I lack that passion for God. My heart is a bit slow in responding to the needs of others. Maybe you want to think about that list. What do I need to do to resolve to do today? Do I need to resolve to make sure I'm here every week as often as I can? To learn this week just to be content with the ordinary things, to give thanks for simple things in my life? Is it that I need to throw myself into something really worthwhile that will rekindle my passion for God and my passion for life? Whatever it is, maybe today, you might resolve to do that. And that will begin to restore that heart, that heart of love that God gives us. Amen. Amen.